All right, Mosaic, uh, welcome again um, to our service. Today's uh, word as we continue in the book of Revelation uh, comes from Revelation 6, uh, verses 7 to 10. And so we'll be reading that together. So if you have your Bibles at home and you want to get it, we'll be in Revelation 6 and 7. I'll be reading from different parts of the Bible today. And so I invite you to have your Bible handy. And so this is Revelation 6. And let me start reading from verse 7. This is the word of God. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. And for the witness they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Um, I don't know if you know, but we build actually our services around the Word of God, and we build our services, whether it's our prayer or praise sets, we build everything around the sermon that's going to be preached. And so, as usual, the praise team and the public prayer, they reached out to me and asked, you know, what's today's sermon going to be about? And when I told them that the title of the sermon is The Wrath of God, um, (laughs) there was a common and collective oh, wow, okay, Uh, the wrath of God. Um, And uh, they they had to prepare everything around this idea of the wrath of God. It's a topic that we don't really like to think about, um, but when we read the book of Revelation as we're going through the series, it's an idea, it's a topic that you can't really get around because there's so much of it in the book of Revelation. And it's one of the hardest things for us as we go through the book of Revelation. And as we read it, sometimes we're thinking, why is there so much wrath? Why is there so much wrath? Why is there so much judgment? And even if you've never read the book of Revelation, or maybe if you're coming in as kind of a visitor, welcome, or if you're wondering about the faith and you've been wondering about Christianity, it might be one of those things that you've wondered about, and maybe it's kept you at a distance, maybe it's kept you a little bit skeptical, of the faith, and maybe it's even, maybe, it's made you even critical of God, um, the wrath of God. And so today I want to talk about this concept a little bit, the wrath of God, because you see it in Revelation. There's no way around it. It's everywhere in the book of Revelation. And so we're going to talk about this, kind of the big picture of the wrath of God. And then next week, what I want to do is next week I want to talk about a few topics that have confused the church and confused a lot of people and led many people astray when it comes to the book of Revelation, of concepts like the mark of the beast or the seven-year tribulation and the 144,000. What are these things? Next week, I want to get into some of the particulars of these things, but today what I want to do is I want to talk about the big idea of the wrath of God in the book of Revelation. We are wrath allergic We are wrath allergic. We don't like the concept of the wrath of God, and and it makes us confused about how the God that we picture in our heads could be a wrath of God, uh, a God of wrath. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the wrath of God as we see it in these passages, and I want to give you two reasons 
for the wrath of God in Revelation, but also in general. Why the wrath of God? So I want to talk to you about two reasons uh, why the wrath of God. And then at the end, I want to show you the salvation that we have from the wrath of God as we go towards the communion. I want to also show you in this why we actually need God to be a wrathful God, why we need him to be a God of wrath. And at the end, what I hope Where I hope we're going to be is we're going to be singing, singing in jubilation and in praise that we are saved from this wrath. And so today, that's what we're going to be doing. And so I invite you to pray with me. Let's bow our heads. We need the Lord's help in this. Father, your wrath has always been a mystery to many of us. It's kept some of us from the book of Revelation. It's kept us confused about you. Father, I pray, show us who you really are. Communicate to us who you are. And I pray that you would bring us clarity, but also not just clarity, but encouragement through understanding who you are, why, why you have wrath, judgment. I pray, O God, that you would bring clarity, but also you would bring us to a place of worship as we come to the communion table. Help us, O God, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The wrath of God. Let me read uh, Revelation 6, 7 to 10 again. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and its rider's name was death and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? After you open the book of Revelation and you go through the letters to the church, where if you've ever studied the, the book of Revelation, it's kind of familiar to you, challenging letters, but also encouraging letters. As you go through some of that, and then you go beyond that, as you go deeper into the book of Revelation, you run into these things that begin to be opened. It starts with the scrolls that are opened, and then the seals are opened, and then the trumpets are blown, and finally, the bowls of God's wrath are poured out. Now, all of these things are are fairly foreign things to us, but what's clear is that there's a succession of these things being opened, these things uh, being revealed, and it all leads to God's plan for the end of days, God's plan, which includes the wrath of God. As these things, the scrolls open up uh, the seals, and the seals lead to the blowing of the trumpets, and the trumpets lead to the bowls of God's wrath, it's inevitable What you see here is the catastrophe, the catastrophe that comes because of the wrath of God. All these things that are happening, and it's it's fairly frightening, right, as you open this. The first seal opens up, and you see um, hunger and striving just to survive. Uh, The fourth is opened, and you see disease and sword. And if you're ever reading the book of Revelation and you're getting into this, you wonder, what is going on here? What is going on here? Why are all these terrible things happening And I want to tell you that the the things that you see in the book of Revelation are happening because this is the point where God's wrath is unleashed. And there are two reasons for God's wrath 
in the book of Revelation. The two reasons are justice and vengeance. Justice and vengeance. And I want to kind of unpack that with you. The first reason why we see the wrath of God in the book of Revelation is that God is a God of justice. God is a God of justice. Um, The wrath of God, as we find out in the book of Revelation, has been stored up, stored up in the Lord, and he's finally revealing the time when it's going to come out on the earth um, in the last days. But one thing that we have to understand about God's judgment or God's wrath is that it's been carefully and patiently stored up. God is a God who has been patient, patient with his wrath. And I think that's really important for us to understand that God's wrath, as we see it in scripture, is not God's inability to control his emotions or God's inability to control his anger, right? Because, you know, you and I, we're like that. And so sometimes we think that God is like that when he acts in wrath. And so we, we think that he's unstable. Maybe he's, he's kind of acting out an emotion, but that's not what's happening at all. What we see here is a God who has waited patiently for thousands of years and given grace and mercy and patience before his judgment is finally released. You see, it's a very different impression of God that we get when we understand that. That's the difference between someone, uh, the impression that we get, somebody who lashes out in emotional, um, kind of unstable anger, right? Somebody who lashes out is very different than a judge who has carefully thought out what's been happening, carefully deliberated for weeks and weeks, and then finally unleashes the sentence to those who are guilty. It's very, very different, this anger and this anger. You see, the judge is weighing justice, and there's something inside of us that recognizes this is the only right way to do it, is to weigh it, to think about it, to consider it before the sentence comes out. And I want to tell you that when you see the wrath of God in Revelation, that is the kind of wrath that you're seeing, that God has been patient, that he has been deliberating, not for weeks, but for all time. He has been deliberating within himself, within the Trinity, about the wrath that will come as a response to evil and sin in this world. You see, one of the things that you might not have learned in Sunday school is that God is perfectly angry. Now that sounds weird, right? Perfectly angry, what does that mean, perfectly angry? It means that God is not someone who has flares of uncontrolled anger. No, God is consistent. His anger and his judgment is controlled. That because of evil and sin in the world, that he, as a God of justice, as a God who is pure, as a God who cannot let evil just go, he has this anger that's right and is holy and just, but it's controlled in patience, mercy, and grace. It's controlled. God is perfectly patient all the time consistently angry at sin, consistently angry at evil, but it's controlled. You see, God is a God of justice, and he can't just let evil slide, not when it ruins you and me, not when it ruins those who are vulnerable in this world, not when it goes after women, children, vulnerable men, not when these things actually have dire consequences that come after us and hurt us. God just can't stand on the sideline because he is a God of justice. That's who he is in his character. 
And because that's who he is, that's the kind of God he is, he can't just stay on the sideline and not act when these things are tearing the world apart. You see, sometimes we think that God is like us, but he's not. You know what we are like? Sometimes what we are like is we turn the, the blind eye. We turn our away from evil and we let it slide. You know, especially when it's somebody who's close to us or someone who we love. I kind of imagine, imagine your cousin, your cousin. Imagine your cousin tells you that he has been evading taxes for decades, that he's been committing this crime of not paying taxes and he's been committing this wrong because he's been selfish and greedy. And I kind of imagine our cousin telling us this and saying, don't tell anybody this. Don't let anyone know about this. And we just say, I can't believe this, that you've been doing this all this time. But look, you're my cousin. I'm not going to say anything. You're not going to say anything. And we're never going to talk about this ever again. And we wink and we blink and we elbow and we talk out of the side of our mouth and we say, let's let it go. And in doing so, we become accomplices We become accomplices in this evil. You see, you and I, we do that, but God can't do that. He can't. He's pure in his character. He is just in his character. He will not be an accomplice with evil by looking the other way. Why is there wrath in the book of Revelation? Because God has been patient in his justice, but he must act on it eventually or else His very character, who he is as a pure, good God, a God of goodness and justice. He puts it in jeopardy, and he participates in evil if he lets it go unpunished. He has to act. Think about all those things in the world for all time, the stomach-churning, disgusting, devastating sins that have been going on in this world. How can God not act? He must act because he's a God of justice. He's pure, and he has to act on these things. You know, before I go on, let me ask you, do you have room in your theology of God, in your understanding of God, do you have room for a God of justice? Or is he basically like Santa Claus to you? Is he basically like Santa Claus to you, and it's very hard for you to make room for such a big God the real God, the true and living God, the God of the Bible. Do you have room for such a God? He's a God of justice. That's why you see wrath in the book of Revelation. Secondly, not only is he just God, another reason for his justice is because of vengeance. He's responding to the evil that's done against his people. You see, not only is he responding because of his character, his purity, he's also acting not only on his behalf, he's acting on our behalf. You know, the the book of Revelation has a lot of parallels to the book of Exodus. Uh, You've heard this before in our sermon series, right? And do you remember when the people of um, Egypt, 
the God's people, the Israelites, were enslaved in Egypt and they were crying out to God because of the injustices that they were feeling, the injustices that they were living in, they were crying out to God. And do you remember what God said in Exodus 3, 7 to 8 in, to Moses in response to these prayers that have been coming to him and coming to him? What does he say to Moses? He says, Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. He says, I've been watching. I've been watching what's happening, and I've seen it. I've been listening to their prayers. I've heard it, and in my heart, I know what they're going through. I know their suffering. I've seen it, I've heard it, I know it, and I cannot stand on the sideline. Moses, I've come to deliver my people from these Egyptians. I deliver my people away from the injustices that they are living in. I can't just stand on the sideline because I love them and I'm a God of justice. I'm a God of rescue and deliverance. I have to come to their defense. When you look in the book of Revelation, you see the same God acting in response to men and women who are experiencing injustice. They're crying out to God, and in Revelation, they're crying out to God saying, won't you come, and won't you come and vindicate us? Won't you come to our defense? You see, as Christians, God has told us, do not take vengeance on your own. Do not go out taking vengeance on people. He says in the New Testament, vengeance is mine. Christians, do not take your own vengeance. And so the men and women who have been faithful to that command have been waiting, crying out to God, God, we experience injustice. We are experiencing suffering. When are you going to act on our behalf? You told us not to take vengeance and we won't, but when are you going to take vengeance for us? Our children have suffered. Our families have suffered. Our nations have suffered injustice. You see, for me, this was such an eye-opening key to Revelation. Revelation 6, 9 to 10 is an important key to help you understand why God is acting in wrath in Revelation. For me, I had a hard time with it for a long time. I didn't understand it. But Revelation 6, 9, and 10 helped me to understand what's going on. Will you read it with me? Revelation 9 and 10 again, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Here are men and women who are in Christ, Christians. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You see, I realized that God is acting in wrath and judgment because people have been crying out to him to act on their behalf. And so his wrath and judgment is not just against those who rebel, is not just against those who reject Jesus, but it's on the behalf of those who have experienced injustice. You see, to be a Christian means that you will suffer for Jesus' sake. You know that, don't you? In fact, when we opened the book of Revelation, we found out that to be a follower of Jesus is to be a martyr and witness for Jesus. 
The New Testament tells us that anyone who desires to follow Jesus will be persecuted. All of us, if we desire to follow Jesus, will be persecuted. We will experience suffering, but it is not a suffering that will go unnoticed by God. It is not an injustice. It is not a persecution. Some of you have been hearing about the terrible things happening to the Uyghurs in the news. It is not a persecution and injustice that will go unnoticed. It will not go ignored. It will not go not believed. It will not go discounted. It will not go forgotten. Because God is seeing it, he is hearing our prayers, he is understanding what we're going through, and he is going to act on our behalf, those who suffer for the sake of Christ. You see, when I understood that about Revelation, it helped me to understand what he's doing in all of these different scary parts of the book of Revelation. He is actually not just going against those who are evil, but he's actually acting on our behalf. You know, people have told me that when they were younger, the book of Revelation was scary to them. Scary because of these things that are happening. But don't you see that it's not against you These things that are happening are for you. He's coming to your defense. It's just that he's a powerful and mighty God. And so when he defends you, sometimes it is a bit scary. One question that I think that many of us have and have had in the past is, I am a Christian, and I know that my final destination is with God, and it's going to be of peace and of communion with Jesus and the new heavens and the new earth. I know the final destination. But in the tribulation, in in the, the suffering that will happen before his return, are we also going to experience that as Christians? Or are we going to be protected? Are we going to be in a bubble? Because, you know, we're Christians, and so we should be protected, right? And so are we going to experience that too? The answer is yes and no. Yes and no. You see, there are some things in the book of Revelation that are specifically for those who reject Christ and are in rebellion against Christ. Um, If you think about the the book of Exodus, there are these plagues in in, um, the book of Exodus. And some of those plagues, if you remember, were specifically for the Egyptians. If you remember some of the plagues, the plague of the flies, the the plague of the flies was only in the household of the the Egyptians. If you remember the the plague of the livestock dying, that only happened in the household of the Egyptians. It was specific towards them. But there were also plagues that affected all of Egypt, everyone who lived there, including God's people. The plague of the hail, the hail came down on every household. The darkness that came over Egypt touched every household, and most significantly, The plague of the firstborn touched every single household that was not covered in blood. Likewise, in um, Revelation, there are some judgments, there's some wrath that is specifically against those who reject Jesus Christ. If you look at Revelation 9.4, here is one of them. The bottomless abyss is opened, the smoke and locusts come out onto the earth, but it says this in Revelation 9:4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Next week, I'm gonna get into what that seal is. 
but it was, it's clear that it's specific against those who have rejected God. And so, yes, you will go through some suffering because there will be an intensification of suffering toward the last days. God is spilling out his judgment on all the earth, but it is not against you. It's important that we understand that. The big thing that we need to know about God's wrath and revelation is that he is actually acting on your behalf. And anything that you do experience, any of the difficulty you do experience is not for your destruction, it's for your purification. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Maybe the best way uh, to explain it is remember um, that scene before the Red Sea uh, when Moses and the, and the people of God are coming out of Egypt and they've come so far, uh, but they've come right where the Red Sea is. And behind them, they see the Egyptians coming behind them and they're coming to slay them and they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. We have the Egyptians behind them. We have the Red Sea in front of them and the people of God are shouting over to Moses. Moses, is this what you brought us out of Egypt for? Is this the salvation of God? We have drowning in front of us. We have slaying behind us and we're about to die. And is this why you brought us out? In that moment, uh, what does Moses say to them? He looks at them in Exodus 14, 14, and he says to them, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. He's saying, I know this is the scariest thing you've ever encountered. You have drowning in front of you, and you have the Egyptians behind you, and I know that you're clutching to your children because you think that you're going to die at any second, but look at me. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be silent. Trust in him. He has brought you out here to save you and not to kill you. The Red Sea that you see in front of you is not for your destruction. It's for theirs. He will fight for you. And I know it's crazy to think about it now, but for thousands of years, you will be singing about how God saved you through the Red Sea. That sea is not for you. It's for them. And brothers and sisters, as you look at the wrath of God in Revelation, I know it's scary, and I know that it puts nerves on your heart as you think about it, but the wrath of God that you see in the book of Revelation is not for you, it's for them. And you will be saved through those times. You will be saved through that tribulation, and the Lord will bring you through. He is fighting for you. And that's something that you need to see as you look at the tribulation, as you look at the wrath and the judgment of God in the book of Revelation. He is actually fighting for you. You only need to persevere. You only need to be silent. And the beautiful thing about these passages in Revelation 6 and 7 is not only do you see that moment where the tribulation is coming, but you also see a picture of yourself on the other side of that Red Sea. You see yourself on the other side of the tribulation. And that's what I wanna take you to as we come uh, to a close, the salvation of God, not only the wrath of God, but the salvation of God in Revelation. Let's look at Revelation 7 together. Revelation 7, verse nine to 14, it says this. 
After I looked, behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the, before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Last week, we heard from Dr. Crayer talking about this multitude, a multitude that no one could number. And here we see them singing, salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God. And one of the elders who were from the vision talked to John and say to John, John, who are these people? And John is smart. He doesn't know, but he says, you know, you know, you tell me. Who are these people? I don't know. I've never seen people like this. I've never seen this there's many people. I've never seen people from such various different places. I, I don't only see Nigerians and Germans. I also see Indonesians and Chinese and, and, and Russian. I see people from all over. What do you even call these people? Where are they from? They're from everywhere. What? I don't know what to call these people. You tell me. And the elder says, I'll tell you who they are. These are the ones who made it out of the tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and have made them white. Now, brothers and sisters, you and I know that you wash something in blood and it doesn't come out white, unless it is the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ. But this is what I want you to see in this. Here are those who made it out of the tribulation. Here are the redeemed. How did they make it out of the tribulation? You actually get it from the way that they are described. How did they make it out of the tribulation? Was it their strength? Was they, were, they, were they incredibly faithful? Uh, were they the people who had the most faith out of everyone? Is that how they made it out of the tribulation? Is that how they persevered out of the, the hardships and the suffering? No. They are those who washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. That is how they were saved, and that's also how they made it out of the tribulation. They are the ones who stand on the last day. They're not defined by their perseverance. They're not defined by the strength of their faith. They're defined by the one who spilled his blood for them. Now, when you've read Revelation in the past, maybe you've wondered, am I going to be numbered among those who make it out? Or when the saints go marching in, how I long to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Will I also be a part of that multitude? Because I failed in this life. I've made compromises in this world. I've fallen into temptation 
I've been scared at my job when I was called to be a witness and I saw these opportunities and I cowered back. I've fallen into sexual temptation. I was promiscuous. I felt greed in my heart and I've used money for my security instead of the Lord. I've been unloving. I've been unselfish. I've done all of these things in the midst of the tribulation, in the midst of the suffering I face in my life. Am I going to be one of them? How can I be a part of that number if I've screwed up so much? Will I stand on that last day? And even some of us, because of maybe your past or maybe someone's taught this to you or I don't know, you saw it in a movie. I don't know why this is the thing, but you know, we picture ourselves maybe in the tribulation and in the last day and in the suffering before Jesus comes back and there's all these terrible things happening and there's a gunman that comes up to you, puts a gun to your head and says, deny Jesus or you die. Deny Jesus or you die. Will you recant? Will you deny Jesus? And we think, what will I say? You know, I wonder what I would say if I was in that moment, if I was being threatened, my life being threatened. Would I recant Jesus? Would I deny him? Or would I cling to him in that moment and have great faith? Now, before you answer that question, I want to ask you, why do you ask yourself that question? Why do you ask yourself that question? And I would say that one of the reasons we ask that question of ourselves is that we believe that our salvation rests in the way that we answer that question. We think that in that moment, if we say, I am a believer of Jesus, I love him, that we will be counted in the number. And we think that if, if we in that moment say, okay, I, I deny him, then we will be rejected. That we will not be in that number, the multitude. My brothers and sisters, I want you to examine why you think that way, why you think about that question. And I want to say maybe it's because in that moment, we lose the gospel in our hearts. Your salvation does not rest in how you persevere through the tribulation. Your salvation does not rest in how you answer that question to that gunman. Your righteousness, your security, your salvation does not rest in any of those things. You know, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in England, he used to have this test that he used to use with people in England. And um, he was trying to see if they understood what Christianity is. They try to understand um, if they knew what the gospel was. And, you know, English people, uh, they don't want to be overtly proud or, or, uh, or bombastic. They, they, they kind of want to be um, understated and they want to be humble. And so he would ask people in England, um, are you a Christian, sir? Are you a Christian? And he says that oftentimes um, Englishmen would respond by saying, am I a Christian? Um, well, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to be a good Christian. And he said that it would prove to him that the person he was talking to had very little idea about what the gospel is. You see, the gospel is not that you are trying to be a Christian. You cannot try to be saved. Mosaic, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? The gospel is that you are saved and secured and shielded by the blood of Jesus alone in what he has done alone, not your answer to a question by a gunman who threatens your life, not even by the size or strength of your faith. You are saved by what? You are saved in having faith in Jesus Christ, however small that faith, 
That small mustard seed of faith connects you to a mighty Christ. That's how you are saved. They are those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. How will you make it out of the tribulation? How will you make it out of all the sufferings in this life? Squarely on the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, how precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so this is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all, all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And by this, I'll overcome the blood of Jesus. And by this, I'll reach my home, the blood of Jesus. See, Mosaic, do not be shaken when you read Revelation. Sometimes it's almost as if we pick up the gospel along the way in the New Testament, the the gospels and acts and the letters, and we pick up the gospel. But then when we get to Revelation and we see the tribulation, we stumble and we drop the gospel. And we say, I wonder how I'm gonna make it out of the tribulation. You will make it out by the blood of Christ. His commitment, his promise to you is how you will make it out. The wrath of God. You are saved from the wrath of God through the power of the blood of Jesus alone. So what is your application for this? Your application for this is my brother and sister, whatever you've experienced this week, this month, in regards to your faith, whatever has shaken you this week, whatever has shaken your faith this month, you need to find your grounding and security again in the blood of Jesus Christ. What happened to you this week? What happened to you this month that made you doubt that you're gonna make it? What happened to you this week? that made you wonder, if I thought that, if I felt that, if I did that, am I even a Christian? Will I be judged? Will I ultimately face the wrath of God? What happened? Whatever happened, it is not stronger than the blood of Christ. You need to find your security in your salvation, security and grounding coming in God and not what you've done, felt, thought, said. The people who make it out of the tribulation are those who say salvation belongs to our God, not salvation belongs to me, not salvation belongs to my ability to make it out of the tribulation and my ability to be a good Christian. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. My brothers and sisters, I know the wrath of God in the book of Revelation has confused you, maybe even scared you, but be reminded that he is for you, not against you. The tribulation that you see in Revelation, you will have to endure, but it is not for your destruction. It is for your salvation. He is coming and responding to you in your cries for help. And in the end, you will be a part of that number as long as you have Christ. 
Let's go to him in prayer as we go to the communion table together. Father, as we go to this communion table, I pray that you would help us so that everything that we've just received about the wrath of God, the salvation that we have from the wrath of God and our security in you, all these things, I pray, would all come together at this table and that it would become real to us by your spirit. So send the spirit as we take communion together. I pray, impress these things upon our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.